Welcome to Beyond Bitcoin, a podcast about all things digital assets, the global communities they are creating, the generations that are using and investing in them, and the challenges faced by the nations that are seeking to regulate them. The content of this program is not to be taken as investment advice. My name is Derek Graham. I'm the CEO of Portal Asset Management, and my co-host is Nitin Gower, Director of IBM Digital Assets and CTO of Portal. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world. Welcome along to Beyond Bitcoin. Today, we have a great show because we've got a special guest with us today, Corey Siegel, that's come to join us. Um, hello, Corey. Hey, how's it going, guys? Uh, hey, Nitin. Hey, Derek. Great to be here. Hey, Corey. Appreciate being on. Hey, Derek. And of course, we've got Nitin, our friend and colleague um, based over in Austin, Texas. How are you going today, Nitin? Hey, Derek. Glad to be here. Corey, really good to have you on the show. Looking forward to this amazing chat. So to say that we're not going to talk about volatility is to say we're not going to talk about an elephant that's sitting over in the corner of that room, because guess what? It's another massively volatile market, isn't it? <laughs> Fancy that. <laughs> uh, it's been a last interesting few weeks, uh, both in terms of the narratives that you hear from the regulators, but at the same time, I think, um, the ups and downs in the market, uh, the USDT um, and UST and, 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 and all that's in news is only making it interesting. But at the same time, to me, I'm taking notes in terms of lessons learned. And I think, Derek, if you recall, we did ha have exactly this conversation uh, a few months back in terms of probability and possibility of hanging, having an algorithmic, you know, a, a stable coin and what it means for the industry. So I think, to me, this is an exciting time to learn. Uh, but maybe not as, 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 as exciting from an investment perspective, I think. Well, uh, interesting enough, in times of volatility, there are always opportunities. Um, and as a side, seven out of the 11 funds that the Portal Digital Fund has invested in have generated a profit so far this month. Um, and so some of them have been shorting UST and Terra Luna, topic in hand, algorithm-generated uh, stable coins. So there's always opportunities in a marketplace. But what I really wanted to get across is that, you know, the marketplace is extraordinary in the fact that it's down 66% in the last 12 months. That's the CCI 30s down 66% in the last 12 months. You know, this is a very large amount from 33,000 peak down to 10,900. And so, so, you know, you'd look at that and go, well, why would you invest in this space? And I want to just give a little bit of um, a little bit of background. Last week I wasn't here. I listened to your show, Nitin. Fantastic! Thanks very much. It was just awesome. <laughs> um, and and I was meeting with institutional investors and platforms, and we had twenty five meetings in Sydney and Melbourne last week. And these institutional investors didn't raise the topic of the volatility of the market at all. And that's number one. And number two is that we wouldn't have been able to meet these institutional investors two years ago because they wouldn't have been interested. So I think despite the volatility in this space, there's a continuity now and an admittance that this space is here to stay and will grow. And, and that is superb that we're seeing that, you know, platforms, large retail and wholesale platforms that are interested in their investors being able to get exposure to the space. And why not? Because when you look at it, there's nothing but good news happening in the space. Some $41 billion of, of, of VC money has been put into it in the last, what is it now, 15 months that's gone into this space. That's a huge amount 
into this area that where you don't, you know, it's not a seven-year program to develop an, an antibiotic. This is a, a two-year program. You can develop some of these blockchain solutions. And also, of course, the user base is tripling on an annual basis in an exponential curve and adoption of a new technology. And so we're still really bullish about this space, naturally. Um, and despite the volatility, we see that just as opportunity. I know that sounds a little cliched, but it's a fact. But amongst all of this, Con this volatility, there is continuity. And, and the growth in these marketplace is what we really want to talk about today with Corey Siegel. And again, thanks for joining us, Corey. And maybe you'd introduce what Vitello does and set some context to what we're about to go through in discussion of these token sectors. Sure. Thanks for, uh, thanks for having me again. And uh, so what does Vitalo do? Um, Vitalo connects, enables um, the digital asset ecosystem. <clears throat> and I'll go over in a little bit here what, 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 what falls underneath the digital asset category because it encompasses a lot of different aspects. And so at the end of the day, we help people raise money on our platform, our technology. Think of us as almost like a Shopify for private markets. So we operate in the private market space and we help issuers, broker dealers, people raising money, want to syndicate as well around that, be able to raise capital efficiently, reduce the friction in terms of like KYC, AML. If you have to do accreditation, we support that as well. And you get to the point where you get to fit payments and funding and finally, uh, you know, DocuSign uh, your subscription agreement and you're good to go in terms of, of that. And then we get to the secondary liquidity. So after a certain point in time, you may be rich on paper, but if you don't know, um, Traditionally, in the private market space, it's very illiquid, and it's hard to actually sell your shares unless you get acquired or you go IPO. So, in between that state, how do I actually, you know, if I want to, if I want to, you know, reduce my position for whatever reason, paying for a college education for my kid, maybe I want to invest in some newer startups. Uh, you're able to do that through secondary liquidity through what we call these ATSs, these licensed SEC broker dealer um, um, licensed uh, and FINRA licensed uh, alternative trading systems aka secondary exchanges in the private market space. So it allows you, whether it's T0 or OPM or Texture Capital, they allow you to get there. So what we do is we connect and enable that entire ecosystem. Think of us almost like, like, like a nucleus of the solar system in the sense where we connect with all these different partners, give you optionality. Maybe you want to do a KYC with one partner versus another. Maybe you want to go ahead and... Um, get funding from, from one partner versus other. And there's various reasons to do that. And finally, on the ATS side, maybe you want to list on T0 or Templum. Some of these ATSs only handle what we call tokenized assets. Some actually handle, handle digital assets. And the SEC, for their own reasons, have decided to keep those two separate uh, mm -hmm. with the licensing. So that's kind of what Fortalo does. We have people that use our platform underneath, just like a Plaid, just like a, a Shopify. Build on top of it. We're API first and or they can use our contextual onboarding application, their choice. And so we have use cases like Roostock, who is a big you know, single family residential uh, company, 4 billion plus in assets, connecting to us, allowing us to manage our cap tables, getting to either DeFi solutions or secondary liquidity to like my racehorse. So you right now can go out there to my racehorse and for 50 bucks, buy a fractional ownership of a horse. And these horses compete in all sorts of races, including the Kentucky Derby. Uh, one year, actually one of the horses won. And you, because you're an equity owner in that horse, get a distribution from that prize pool uh, that they win. So this is an example of a couple of things. There's collectibles. Uh, there's obviously a lot of housing that gets fractionalized and tokenized. So, uh, you know, as we get into the tokenization here, um, be happy to talk a little bit more about that. 
Wow, this sounds so exciting. I mean, Corey, I think we met at the DAS conference last year, which is coming up next week in Austin, Texas, which is where we both live. And so looking forward to meeting you and the ecosystem players there. But I think what you just described is something we have been talking in the industry for quite some time, which is fractionalization. And what I have termed back in the day as instance economy is ability for you to have an ownership and instance of any asset class per se, whether it's real estate and as the example that you mentioned. So I think to me, it's not just simply tokenizing the world as as everyone's been talking about is, hey, let's go and tokenize the traditional asset classes. You have taken the step in building the framework, the infrastructure that facilitates some of the fundamental tenets of blockchain trade, trust, ownership. It's facilitating liquidity, facilitating ability for people to not just do capital formation, creating secondary markets and, and the entire ecosystem revolving around it. And I believe last time when I was at the DAS conference, there was a lot of energy and buzz about doing all kinds of things, whether it's taking, you know, and financing an airplane and tokenizing that and having fractional ownership in that, you know, respect. And then you had art and painting and ATSs were all over the place. And the panel talked about a lot of stuff. Help us help our audiences get the gravity of this. Um, you know, we've always compared 471 trillion of traditional asset classes. And in one of those sessions, uh, we talked about a potential value of two quadrillion uh, dollars, which is basically trillion of a trillion dollar uh, mark. Help us understand the gravity of this uh, potentiality of the markets, not just capital formation, but ability for us to create fractionalized assets, ability for us to be able to digitally move these things, which historically was not possible. Yeah, so uh, a couple of myths and truth here. So right now, the SEC does not recognize public blockchains. They do recognize private or permissioned, actually, blockchains. Uh, so one of the things that we're doing is trying to help to convince them that a blockchain is a better immutable ledger than a Postgres database. Um, so that's one thing we're doing here. Um, and, but regards to your actual you know, question here, there's a lot of things you can do. So you can fractionalize today via just digital shares. So a lot of our clients, for example, will take a house and turn it into a little LLC, you know, put a thousand shares out there and allow you and your four friends essentially to buy a quarter of the shares each and basically co-own the home. Um, there's those components. Um, same thing with digital uh, collectibles. Uh, so you can fractionalize via creating an LLC on these different asset classes and these assets and sell those digital shares, or you could tokenize. Uh, one of the reasons why you want to tokenize um, future proofing is one big reason. Uh, another is this for a marketing perspective. Everyone likes the idea of, of having a tokenized asset. Um, you're able to put this if you want to, you can whitelist it and stick it into your wallet, uh, like whether a MetaMask wallet or trust wallet. Now, these are all securities, however. So within the security protocol, we have to program certain things around a clawback. We have to be able to, you can't lose a security like you can a Bitcoin. We need a little more detail around that. Uh, I have to rehypothecate if uh, you die or you pass on and there's a trust that one and we're forced to transfer. Um, Vertalo is a, a licensed SEC transfer agent. We're able to transfer that to the appropriate people. So as far as protocols go, and if you look at if you look at we get into a little bit more about what, what security tokens are, and that's this one asset category underneath digital assets, and there's others. You're looking at, you know, sort of the 1400 category, the 1400, the 1404, the 1450, the 1462. There's a whole bunch of variations of this, but essentially they allow you to meet SEC compliance, in this case, in the United States, or any jurisdictional compliance by being able to be able to put together good control location 
aspects to this and be able to be able to reproduce uh, those security tokens. And so when you look at tokenizing assets that are considered securities, whether it's homes or fraction, when you talk about fractional, by the way, even a fractional NFT, that really starts to bridge the gap to securities. And so I kind of, you know, when you start looking at these sort of things around NFTs that are fractionalized, you're going to be hearing a lot from the SEC and from the regulators around, guys, this is not a bearer asset. This really is getting into a securities realm. Um, there are going to be NFTs that are going to be strictly, you know, consumable bearer assets, no problem. Or there might be things around, for example, uh, they might be around membership programs. Uh, a lot of a lot of things like even the board yacht. Everyone knows about the board yacht, yacht eight club, right? You know, the board apes. That really is essentially a very elite membership club. At the end of the day, you have a you have this NFT, and it provides access. Uh, to all sorts of parties, events, uh, to to a bunch of stars right now. Now, whether or not you like that from a traditional standpoint or not, it's interesting. But um, nonetheless, uh, I mean, I can go on and on here, but I'll stop there as far as kind of an idea of tokenization. But tokenization is definitely going to be a, a huge play. It's definitely a future proof right now. And I think with some of the things you can do around royalties and you can program um, all sorts of restrictions in there from a securities perspective. Uh, you can program uh, things around access to events or to certain files. I think tokenization is going to have a huge future. Mm, so we, we certainly do too. Hey, Corey and Nitin, let's just get some clarification here. This whole world that's blurry well between a security token and a non-fungible token seems to be a question <laughs> I'm getting asked on a regular basis. Really, what's the difference? Right. And certainly the, the non-fungible token I've often heard argued is, is that it's a community builder and it provides benefit, benefits around that rather than just transfer of assets. But it does transfer an asset. So can you help us out here? What is the difference between a security token and a non-fungible token? Yeah, so let me just go at a higher level. It's just general categories or like use cases of tokens. All right. You have the traditional Bitcoin, Ethereum we call it cryptocurrencies. And these really are currencies at, at what we call the layer one solution, the blockchain level, where they're actually rewarding uh, validators or miners for, for performing uh, essentially an important function to make sure the ledger is, is, is intact and whole. So those are the cryptocurrencies that you're used to seeing, Litecoin, Bitcoin, Ethereum, and so forth. Uh, if you look at other like Solana for on Solana or Cardano on Cardano on blockchain or Tezos on the Tezos blockchain. Then you get into what's called utility tokens. These are typically people here of our ERC-20. The Binance Smart Chain has a, uh, has a basically a, a BSC, BCS version of that as well. And these, these sort of tokens are used um, for... We call layer two solutions. It used to be called decentralized applications. Now you can probably call them web three applications. And you get to things like like everything from like MakerDAO, which is more of a stable coin, to a, a utility token uh, for like a rewards program or a, a loyalty program. So you have these sort of concepts where, where you, you basically print your own set pool of, of tokens that you're using for a, a utility or service sort of purpose. Then you get into what's called you know, I already made a bunch of stable coins, but really stable coins, the difference between that one, you know, even though it's on the ERC-20, is it's tied usually backed by an asset like uh, a dollar or gold or oil. And so we look at stable coins, they're usually backed by things. Additionally, you can have what's called algorithm stable coins uh, like Tether. 
where a lot, well, I named Tether, sorry. Tether's supposed to be backed by the by a dollar, but that's a separate <laughs> discussion there. But if you look at like MakerDAO, that's actually a, a, an algorithm coin where, where there's, there's a formula around that. And then finally, you have non-fungible tokens, which really are unique individual tokens. These are things where, where every single one is your, its own little like sort of footprint and, 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 and fingerprint. And they're all distinct and unique. And there's a lot of purposes for that. So when you look at NFTs, you want it because you want to have a distinct individual entity object asset that's not that's very different from any other asset. On the other hand, when you have a concept of saying, hey, I have a amazing Spider-Man number one, I'm going to turn that into NFT. But you know what? It's $100,000. Why don't we try to sell this in a fractional way where we have you know, a thousand people be able to buy this, you know, at a thousand dollars a pop or the case may be mm. versus actually trying to buy this myself. As soon as you fractionalize it, you're now getting into the realm of securities. So now mm. you have this non-fungible token, which is a unique asset that also happens to be security. And unfortunately, most of these non-fungible tokens are under the ERC-20 standard, which doesn't allow for provisions around clawback, uh, ability to do, add restrictions if necessary, ability to reproduce. Uh, ERC-20, you can lose. And so because of that, that general starting protocol does not work. So you have to go to other protocols that are more security token oriented. And security token oriented can still be a non-fungible token, but they're very much, from a parent standpoint, security tokens. And um, they're super important around that because you have to be able to do these these sort of, uh, you know, how these protocols built into where you're able to do these functions based on the jurisdiction regulation that exists today. So non-fungible tokens are ERC-20. You can lose them. I can lose my board yacht ape if I put it in my own non-custodial wallet and I happen to lose access to it. Not very good. I lose my $500,000 ape. It sucks. It really does because um, some of these apes are that expensive these days. Um, and that's, that's pretty good. But um, in addition to that, um, you also have the security tokens, which you cannot lose. They're not bearer assets. And therefore, um, there's no risk around you actually losing them, even in, in a non-custodial wallet, because they can be rehypothecated, they can be reproduced. And the securities can, um, you know, essentially be around forever. And you have a third party agent that tends to help you do this or potentially a blockchain that acts as that agent. Wow. Yeah. So let me ask you one thing. I think uh, last week uh, I had a colleague of mine who's a data scientist and we've been actually framing a lot in terms of how do we do analysis? How do we make sense of this crazy nets that are all around us? This you know velocity and veracity of data that's coming through. And we talked about pricing and pricing, as you know, Corey, is a really important part in all financial markets. You know, price is what you pay, value is what you get. And then there's a market in between those two sort of, you know, uh, constructs. And there's one reason why I think many of the regulators are looking into saying, you know, how do you price these things? How much data is available? And that inspired me to think about how do we stump a data scientist and what I'm calling as metaversical anomalies is how the hell do you price NFTs, which is very subjective, very personal. Uh, and in, in many cases, if you look at what you're doing as Vertalo, which is a transfer agent and working with ATSs, is trying to bring uh, this whole notion of private markets and tokenizing this entire infrastructure and creating a market structure around it. Love to get your perspective on, I get what we're doing with real estate, right? There's a LLC, there's an SPV that you create and SPV then becomes a front in dealing with the regulated world. And then SPV then handles the fractionalization and dealing with 
you know, liquidation and, and, and things like that. So you have a structure in place to do that. You have something similar with, I'm assuming, racehorse, uh, you know, story that you, that you mentioned. But when you look into NFTs, can I bring an NFT and go through your system, whether it's ERC-20, ERC-741, uh, and, and other standards that are, that are deemed to define, uh, and those are technical standards, but can I bring that to a private market? Can I bring an NFT? And if I can bring my NFT and, and go through that to be able to raise money through that NFT as a collateral, for instance, what is the, how, how, how do I go about doing that? Yeah, so the non-fungible token, Essentially, you do got you got you do got to establish uh, a legal entity behind that non-fungible token asset, and you do digitize the shares or tokenize the shares. And once that's done, um, you can have all the other programming stuff into it. You can have you know paying royalties and whatnot. Now you got to be careful, and I won't go into the amount of on-chain um, expense that goes on. Some things around putting some of these contracts that get very heavily weighted uh, versus doing um, uh, what we do at our, at Vertala, for example, is a multi-suite of, of, of contracts where we have a, a method, we call a method contract, a lightweight contract on-chain that refers to off-chain. So you can also do upgrades. One of the problems with NFT is let's say I have a 20% royalty and I want to now downgrade it to 15%. Guess what? You can't do that traditionally uh, because there's no you have to burn all those NFTs and reproduce another NFTs under a new smart contract, right? But with an upgradable concept, you're actually able to change that off chain and be on, on things that make sense that you have control as the artist in this case and be able to go from a 15 to 20 percent uh, royalty down to say 10 percent for whatever reason you want to do that. And so you have those sort of aspects. But when you get into in, into the securities realm, like I said, you really got to look at at, and a lot of people think, well, do I need a tokenizer or do I need to create digital shares? And the answer is digital shares, essentially, you've got to, you got, you got to treat them like just like stock and the preferred tokens, preferred shares of class A, class B. You do a traditional raise uh, via a fund, uh, either a Reg A or a Reg CF for, for a non-credited sort of uh, democratization aspect to this. Yeah. So when you look at, for example, one of our clients, which was Mythic Markets, that did a lot of collectibles they turn these things into LLCs um, under a big Reg A uh, or Reg CF sort of, of umbrella fund and allow people to buy and sell these things, you know, through a secondary market. And um, so that's what you would do on our platform. You would you, you go through a broker dealer mm -hmm. to make that happen. We would we would act as a as a vehicle to 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 onboard all your investors uh, to buy those shares and those fractional assets. It's part of your marketplace. Uh, a good example of this um, would be a Rally. Um, have you ever heard of Rally? It's a, it's a huge platform. Uh, they are licensed by one of our clients, uh, Dalmore, underneath. And uh, they do a lot of tokenization. Um, you know, Gary, you know, Gary does a, a guy named Gary does a bunch of this stuff. And so, um, and then you get a secondary liquidity. You can list this onto a T0 or you can list it onto like an OpenSea. The fact is, Nit and, and, and Derek, the open seas of this world, the wearables of this world, these big marketplaces, they're, in my personal view, this is just my point of view, and based on what we're hearing, um, they're going to be forced to become broker-dealers. I mean, Christie's is a broker-dealer. Yeah. Sotheby's is a broker-dealer. They're going to have to be uh, at this some point, um, just because uh, of you've heard of some of the regulatory issues around the listings and the non-qualifications. And, and the you get into the whole thing around people... Um, you know, doing rug pulls uh, around some of these listings because they're not being validated, these projects, or the projects are being manipulated internally or externally. 
And so, uh, but getting back to the NFT uh, question you had, Nitin, um, absolutely, you can, we can support that. You can support that under a securities umbrella. You can support that under a non-securities umbrella. So some NFTs, if you're creating an NFT just for someone to buy as a patron and consume and have on their wall, and that's the quote, the public intent, it's not a security in, in general, you'll be all right. But as soon as you start fractionalizing or start, as soon as you start programming these NFTs to have a distribution uh, or a, a payback for owning it, then you're getting into the concept of investment. It's very mm. clearly an investment. And as soon as publicly known as investment uh, in the way you, you sort of structured your NFT, that's where you're going to get in the gray area of, of well, not even going to say gray area. It's going to be security, in my opinion. Again, I'm not a legal security lawyer. Uh, we happen to have one, though, <laughs> on a, as a co-founder on, a, on, our, on our, our company um, who was a former SEC regulator. So, uh, and we, we we do have our ears to to the regulation, and we we have a, a good idea of the direction things are going in. That, no, that's my I, I think Corey. Yeah, sorry, sorry. Go ahead, Derek. Go uh, look, I was no, just I saying that. Go for it. I just like to remind that this is again uh, not investment advice. Uh, this is just for conversational purposes to audiences. But one thing I'll say, Corey, as 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 spoken for all blockchain professionals. Every single blockchain professional is a lawyer, is an economist, is a technologist, and a, and, and a business development guy all at the same time. You begin to see these conversations having an overlapping function in any chats that I've been through. So, uh, so kudos to you for that. Sorry, Derek. It's back to you, mate. Okay. This, this whole area, it's interesting because we're dancing around what an NFT is. We're dancing around what a, what a security token is. I just thought, you know, for, for a board ape, you could, you could wrap a board ape NFT into a wrap and create a security token out of it, fractionate it and sell it. I mean, it's just a blur, isn't it, of the things that you can do wrapped around these various assets. The question I've got though is of course, is that what we're doing in the moment is we're dancing around these 1930 odd security um, SEC regulations. And they're, they're ancient and they're not designed for this kind of world. And so we're trying to accommodate that and you're trying to on-ramp traditional finance into that space too. Do you think the, the, um, the regulators are going to get to a point where they, they start regulating this space with a view of the fact that future generations will have a wallet loaded with NFTs and security tokens and currencies, the assets of their family, all sorts of things sitting in it, um, and they don't necessarily have to be defined as they were in the past? Do you think they're going to be able to go from that fixed definition of their view of, of, of a security asset um, to maybe a new definition in the future? Or do you think they're just going to try and bolt all of this into a traditional way of looking at assets? That, that's a, a really good question. So there's, there's, there's a couple of regulatory bodies, at least in the United States, and the IRS wants their tax money, right? And whatever, wherever value is created, and as value gets created to the metaverse and virtual and in these non-fungible tokens and these digital asset realm, it, you know, as value transfers and a chunk of wealth starts happening in that sphere yes. of influence, they're going to want to tax on that as transactions happen. Um, and so you got the IRS looking at it from that perspective. And then you got it from, from a regulatory perspective on the SEC, SEC's perspective. Um, and, and, and their their quoted intent is to protect the investor. Um, I do like the fact that at least United States with the Jobs Act, they allow for crowdfunding and, and, and Reg A plus to allow for unaccredited investors. 
um, to start investing. And so this allows you to democratize access to financial kind of built wealth building, because as, as, as most people know or don't know, um, earning paychecks is good. Building assets is where wealth actually gets occurred and generational wealth starts to happen. So allowing that access uh, is super important. As far as you know, you know, you know the 1933, 1934 uh, laws around, you know, and the Howey test and securities. I think there'll be some adaptation, but in general, I think they're going to hold to wanting to ensure that that people are are known that are issuing these securities, aka KYC AML, some sort of format, yes. so that you don't have rug pulls, you don't have fly by night projects. Uh, you don't have people doing a lot of marketing hype only to whether whether influencers or not, whether Mayweather or not, intentionally or not intentionally being used to sell these sort of raise money, sell these securities only for the project to, to only be there really to die off and make money on 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 that sort of scenario. So mm-hmm. you have that component, and then you have people, you know, the, the, at least the intent again right or wrong and that'll live that update people's opinions on, on what side of the aisle they're on around around the sec and regulation but you have the intent also to quote protect the in- investor um from not losing the security ensuring that there's certain protocols and third parties in place to make sure that the issuer traditionally the issuer who issues should not have the access to under there's a, there's conflict of interest between the issuer and necessarily the investor. They they potentially have different interests down the line. So that's why you have a third party like a transfer agent or a custodian try to help sort of sort of like you know you know manage that interest for the investor and manage the interest for 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 the uh, the issuer, but not have some sort of you know fox guarding the hen house there. So that's a lot of reasons why transfer agents first got about and transfer agents historically. Where you know back in the day you had paper in a freaking custodial vault, right? And so that's why you know you had that sort of concept uh, around custodianship and transfer agents literally moved paper around and kept books and records, right? But with a digital version of this, um, the idea behind self custody and things of that nature now exist to where um, in the digital realm things are going to change. But getting back to your question, I, I do think there's going to be some adaptations around that. Um, I know that the SEC is looking at the digital transfer agents that are in this space and what we're doing and using that to help hopefully formulate new regulation. Um, As you know, new regulation doesn't happen on a dime. Um, (laughs) It can take years, sometimes decades to change. But uh, I I do think that they're going to have to at least react and sort of contain uh, the wild west that's going on now to some extent. I just hope they don't over over can over engineer that where they really restrict the, the innovation. And so one of the things that we're trying to do is help them understand the innovation, yet also the regulation and sort of bridge that gap. Oh, fantastic. So, so, you know, that, that backs another question though. I think you mentioned the legacy of, you know, this paperwork and custody of this paperwork and then transferring this paperwork. Um, if I look at Coinbase, right. And I think Coinbase, presents an interesting dichotomy where uh, you know it's an, you know it's it's irony of all ironies that in a decentralized world you have a centralized structure that has everything coinbase is sort of you know a a, a prime brokerage they're a custodian uh, they provide banking services uh, i can do all kinds of interesting things they also provide you know some elements and some characteristics of of uh, you know of of you know what cftc regulates from a commodities perspective 
so they're sort of collapsed into a single entity that's providing very different financial services. So the question that I have for you, as you described the functioning of what you do, uh, Corey, in terms of you know, uh, digitizing and tokenizing the markets and the assets and working with ATSs, um, help me understand the, you know, the new function of this entity. Uh, if, if transfer agents back in the day had a, had a purpose because of the fact that they were involved in transferring uh, these assets from, from, let's say, custodians to the market participants, what is the role now with tokenized assets? Why can't we collapse the ATSs and TAs into one entity, which does the function of issuance of an asset, governance of an asset class, and then servicing that, that asset and eventually going after in you know, using an ATS as a, as a vehicle to generate liquidity uh, in, in the system? I'd love to get your thoughts on that since you're so close to it. Yeah, there are there are some entities like T0 that have done things like are now self-clearing yeah. and uh, they're uh, an ATS, but there are certain regulations that require a TA, for example, a Reg A and a Reg CF, um, with all the crowdfunding, they require legally that you have a transfer agent involved in those cases. Also, just from a risk standpoint, um, because the way the SEC audits and FINRA looks at you, it, it's way better to have a TA involved uh, in terms of, of optics and to avoid, I mean, honestly, having a TA is a lot easier than having to avoid all the auditing that the SEC is gonna do on you by not having one. Um, sure. So uh, it's just better in general. So all the ATSs that we are, are dealing with um, are saying we are gonna have a, a licensed transfer agent involved in, with, with our trades. Um, right. And again, those are just trades and also with the transfers. And there's a difference between trading and transfer. Trading is, is the buying, selling of shares, order matching and whatnot. Transfer is when you have to actually move an asset from one person to another due to, to death or due to a court order. Um, sometimes a lot of assets are lost uh, and they, um, especially in like in the housing industry where yeah. we get abandoned and you have to do something with that as cheap and so forth. So there's a lot of aspects that you have to do uh, around officially transferring that. So, and, and well, at least at Vertalo, we're more than just a TA. TA actually is just, is just a, a form of C role, but it's that connecting and enabling, it's allowing that fluidity. Sure. It's not having to yep. connect to a like DocuSign and signing a document and having to fill out all the information there, then going to a payment provider and then doing payment over there. Yeah. And then this and this, why not have a single seven step flow where you can easily onboard, get through that process quickly. Yeah. And then integrating with these ATSs is not necessarily an easy thing to do as well. So yeah. because you know you're if you're using a platform that's already connected to seven or eight ATSs and you have the optionality to choose which one without having to integrate individually. Same reason why you know people use wallets today, you know, you know, that have you know thousands of coins and thousands of blockchains attached to it versus doing their own wallet. So um it's, it's, it's basically just, it's, it's very time consuming. A lot of the companies don't want to be involved as a technology company, right? There's a reason why people don't build their own AWS cloud service storage service, right? They use AWS. Uh, so this infrastructure is super important. So think of us as almost like a transfer agent and then connecting enable infrastructure. Uh, like I said, like a Shopify to really help the ecosystem be able to help support all these different use cases, whether they're NFTs, whether or not they're, they're, they're actual other non-fungible assets. Um, there are clients, for example, that are like, for example, patents. Patents are typically a liquid asset. Mm. 
Now you can make those patents liquid by, uh, by, by putting them onto a platform, digitizing them, and allowing them to go to a secondary exchange where you can actually have, you go from a garage sale mode of patents, trying to sell patents you're not interested in anymore, or you want to get you know a lot of value out early to now actually be able to sell them quickly. Same thing yeah. with future contracts on 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 NFL stars and NBA. We have clients that are wanting to sell a contract of a college you know pro that's expected to do very well, and they'll pay they'll give that that college that college graduate millions of dollars now for twenty percent equity in their future earnings and, and as they go pro. So there's and you so would do that on a security things. token, would you? You can. Yeah. Yep. All right. So look, I've got to say that, you know, the further down we get this conversation, the juicier it gets, because the concept of being able to, um, you know, sell and securitize your um, university fees in advance because you're, they, someone believes in you and you're competent, you know, the, the, the concept of being able to, you know, fractionate a horse, which is a totally brilliant idea. And, and, I want the first $50. I want the nose of the horse for the first $50. <laughs> um, so so, so the, the, each one of these things, we often sort of, and when you and I talk about it, we sort of wave our hand and go, and by the way, you can do this. But That's there's right. a lot of structural reality to go from a physicality world to a world of digital assets. And that's clearly, you know, what Vitello is doing is part of that Part of that digitizing is part of the legalities that go with how do you tokenize an asset? What do you determine as an NFT? What do you determine as a tokenized yeah. asset? It, it's fascinating. And it's going to be a, an area that I think is going to grow enormously. And so I asked this, Corey, I mean, how do our listeners maybe get in touch with you if they want to, um, uh, you know, and, and talk with, you know, with them about maybe their ideas or what they might want to securitize or what they might want to create an NFT out of? What's an easiest way of getting in contact with you? And before you answer uh, that, Corey, tell us uh, also about, is there a digital streaming option with the DAS conference, which is very intimate and has the right sort of audiences, as I have learned a lot during, during you know, my participation in these events. Uh, please tell us more about that as well. Yeah, so the Digital Asset Conference this 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 year is very, is, 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 is a user conference. And we have, for example, the, the largest broker dealer, governance broker dealer, the DTC there, which literally processes and authorizes quadrillions of dollars. Every broker dealer, every asset in the United States goes through the goes passes through their hands. Um, New York Stock Exchange is going to be there. Uh, Goldman Sachs, Chase, uh, State Street, go figure. Amongst a lot, you know, Alto IRA. It's very interesting that you can actually take a self-directed IRA and invest in both crypto and non-crypto assets to DeFi platforms. Uh, uh, to uh, actually. We're having someone that's running for Congress uh, uh, as well. And um, Bruce Fenton, you know, of Satoshi Roundtable. Uh, so he bridges both, you know, crypto maximist as well as with securities and kind of how those combine. So it's going to be really fun. We have Spasmatics coming out on, on being playing. They're kind of a retro uh, kind of Devo band uh, that's been playing on uh, Thursday night. But the conference is really great because it really, you know, it's going to show progress and results. So you hear a lot of talk and hype, even like maybe on this conversation and this podcast now, but we're actually showing actual results where from first dollar raised to secondary liquidity. And we have real issuers who raise money and now we're on a secondary exchange mm. and so, being able so, to present that. So Corey, how do they find out about that particular conference? Is there a, is there a place to go to, to be able to sign up to that? Um, because I think that's what they want to do. And then we need to wrap up because this is this is one of those things where we can talk about for hours. But please tell us, how do, how do they find out about that conference? 
Yeah, they just uh, Googled Digital Assets and Securities Conference, Austin, Texas. Uh, that's the easiest way to do it. And you'll see you'll see it there and just let's look at it and uh, happy to come. Uh, if you contact me directly, I can get you some discounted tickets uh, oh. purely because I'm a guest on your on your podcast here. Yep. Thank you. Thank um, you. So, yeah. So happy. <laughs> Thank to you do very that. much. Corey uh, Siegel. And you'll find and you can also find that uh, you'll find you on LinkedIn, too, can't they? The LinkedIn, they can find me on Twitter. Uh, I often visit Clubhouse um, and, and some of the, the prominent rooms around digital assets and sustainability and things of that nature. So, yeah. Terrific. And I can email me as well at Corey.Siegel at Vertalo.com. Hey, thank you very much. That's terrific. Look, fascinating journey. Thank you so much for coming on board. And, you know, we look forward to catching up again, maybe along the way. I think your space is going to be enormously busy in the next decade because the process of digitizing uh, physical assets is going to be enormous. I would call possibly it's the biggest on-ramp we've got close to into this space. Thank you so much sharing your time. And, and, and of course, Nitin, always great to see you and look forward to seeing Likewise, you next week. Derek. Likewise. And Corey, again, thanks so much for your time and expertise. And I'll see you next week. Bye. Bye Thank you. And see you next week. Thanks, Derek. Appreciate everything. Thanks for inviting me. We hope you enjoyed our weekly conversation. If you have any questions, comments, or suggested topics, please feel free to connect with either Nitin or myself on nitin at portal.am or Derek at portal.am. Feel free to subscribe and share with like-minded friends. Stay well, inquisitive, and engaged. See you next week. Bye for now.